0: Thank you. Good evening. My name is Joshua Gilliland, and I'm one of the founding attr- attorneys on the Legal Geeks. Are there any lawyers here tonight? Be proud. Any law students? All right. I'm sorry we do not have continuing legal education credit for tonight. However, there are other opportunities. So, Star Wars is one of the best ways to help people understand how the law works. Because people love Star Wars. Do we have any people from the 501st here tonight? Rebel Legion. There are some amazing cosplayers who love Star Wars. And we presented at San Diego Comic Con this past year with judges on Star Wars. And 500 people showed up. People love this, which brings me to one of the most serious issues that we can talk about in Star Wars. So I want us to to set the mood to understand some civil rights. Why are droids made to suffer? (laughs) Why do they have emotions if they have no rights? When I look at him, I don't see a bad motivator. Droids are loyal. They're there to the end. So if you want to help, if you want to save a droid, I encourage you to open your hearts and adopt one. Just make sure it's a rescue from Jabba's palace. Which brings us to the first legal issue. Just who is the owner of R2D2 and C3PO? Now, when we trace property, this means we have to understand who owns it and the chain of title that takes place. So let's break things down with our two favorite droids. We are introduced to R2-D2 in The Phantom Menace on Naboo, where he is in the service of the Queen. When Padme is a senator a decade later, he is still with her. So she either gifted the Troy to herself, or she acquired R2 off the surplus. We don't know. Meanwhile, in Tatooine, a eight-year-old Anakin Skywalker makes C-3PO. When he goes with the Jedi, he, C-3PO is left with his mother, Sheen. Now, she's left in slavery. That's just wrong. The Jedi should not have left her, and that's just one of those things when you look at the prequels and go, damn it, we should have had Marsha Lucas helping write these, but we didn't. So, let's jet that head, you go. Know, C-3PO would have purely been Anakin's personal property. So, his mother owned C-3PO because, again, he was a child. He couldn't own the droid. She, he goes away, he comes back, and at the time of her death at the hands of the Tuscan Raiders, C-3PO would have been hers. Now she dies. She's married to Selig Lars. So, per intestate succession, if Tatooine is a community property planet like California, Selig would have been entitled to half of her personal property. Well, you can't have half of a droid. So that meant Anakin would have bought out Selig's half. Now, at the time of when Anakin and Padme get secret married, which ironically is legal in California, they would have each owned their droid respectively. Now, there is some argument out there that somebody on Reddit said that. Anakin and Padme gifted the droids to each other, Reddit is not an authority. Show me a book, a comic, a visual guide that says that happened, until somebody does. Each spouse owned their respective droids individually. At the time of Padme's death due to sadness, (laughs) which is still wrong, uh, Captain Antilles would have been the Haley of the droids until the twins were of age when they could have taken over. Now some of you might say like, well, Anakin was still alive. Why didn't he get had property? Well, because there's a really good argument that he killed her. He choked his wife while pregnant. That's spousal abuse. And in California, if you contribute to the death of someone, you don't get to inherit their property. So, I don't buy it that the brave Padme died of sadness. <laughs> she died because her husband killed her. So that means Anakin wanted to take ownership of the droids. And from a certain point of view, Anakin abandoned his ownership rights to C3PO. So let's get forward in time to a new hope where Leia exercises her control and ownership over the droids and sends R2-D2 on his secret mission to go find Obi-Wan Kenobi so they can deliver the Death Star plans back to Yavin 4 and go destroy that puppy. R2 is on a mission. So they get into an escape pod and they land on the enemy. Escape pods are a lot like lifeboats. And a lifeboat on the rocks as a derelict vessel. And the derelict vessels are considered abandoned property. So technically, the droids could have been abandoned property because this is important. Because when the Jawas find abandoned property, they have a valid claim to the droids at that point in time, which means they could legally sell R2-D2 and C-3PO to Uncle Owen. At the time of the violent death of Luke's gambling uncle, he would have inherited the droids through intestate succession unless there was a will that said otherwise, but we don't see that. Thus, in Return of the Jedi, when Luke offers the droids as a gift to Jabba the Hutt, that would have been a valid gift. Alternatively, you could say, like, maybe that was consideration for a contract instead because he wanted Han Solo, Frozen and Carbonite, so they could not have as a wall decoration anymore. Jabba rejects that offer. He pays for it, because you shouldn't hold people in sexual slavery, and my only be a killer am. Which brings us to the other big issue. We,
1: we don't serve their kind in here.
0: Whenever we hear that, that's when lawyers go to combat mode. That's when we start typing, because... <clears throat> That's when we channel our inner parole wardens through a good marshal and say, No, we do, because we have public accommodation laws in the United States. Moreover, if the cantina and most ice leaves would serve naked Chewbacca, they should serve droids. Which, when you think about it, when you look at California law, we have a long list of requirements for public accommodation, because... We believe in the rights of others. So if you want to learn more about this issue, uh, because it's a good one, because you could go, Detroit's aren't people. What does it mean to be a person? They have feelings. They have emotions. Well, if you want to learn more about this, come with me to WonderCon and learn the ways of the law on March 23rd that's all all I can say say for the next week and a half. Well, let's Let's talk about the other issue. issue. Can you torture Torture a droid? droid. Because let's go back to Java's palace when that little power droid is hung upside down, and he's screaming, no, no, as his feet are branded, and other droids are made to watch, and you think, what a sick bastard. Who programmed a droid to torture other droids? And the answer is Java. Well, under California law, if you are trying to intimidate and instill fear, that's torture. And it doesn't have to actually be physical. So the little power droid hung upside down and the droids forced to watch are being tortured. But the law doesn't recognize them as people. Well, what would a judge do if a DA decided to prosecute Java and, and all of his hooligans for doing such evil to droids?
1: Well, the answer is
0: judges, if they hear a power droid on the stand whimpering about how they were hung upside down and their feet, Brandon, the judge is going to figure out a solution. Because they're going to go, we have laws that prohibit cruelty to animals. It's kind of what a droid is. It's kind of like a service animal on, on one level. So could we figure out an equity that maybe cruelty to droids, could be applied and prosecuted through the prohibition against the cruelty to animals, I think the judge would roll that way. And as we start dealing with more issues of AI and people who like yelling at their phones and throwing them, (laughs) don't hurt Siri. She might prosecute you. So let's talk about Scene in Attack the Clone when Anakin finds his mother and she dies. And he goes nuts and kills every single Tuscan raider in that village. You could go, hey, this has a wonderful life lesson in relationships. If anyone says to you, I killed all of them, even the women and children, they're animals, get out. Don't reward that conduct with a secret marriage. <laughs> Love don't fix homicide. Now, somebody might be like, well, is that a hate crime? And you go, all those Tuscan Raiders were killed because they were Tuscan Raiders. That meets the definition of a hate crime. Now, someone might go, as a defense attorney, his mom just died. Maybe he didn't understand the wrongfulness of his actions because of the trauma. And that's a good argument. Until you play back the tape where he says, I killed all of them. They're animals. Filthy animals. That sounds like intent. So I wouldn't want to defend that, but you could still try that argument. And again, if somebody says that to you, don't turn into an accomplice after the fact. Don't marry them. That's bad. Now, some of you might wonder, what about the younglings? Anakin killed a room full of kids. That is a hate crime. All those younglings were slaughtered because of their religious beliefs, because they were Jedi training. That's a hate crime. Now, if you've read the wonderful comic by Marvel with Darth Vader, uh, he goes back to Tatooine uh, in between after A New Hope, because he needs to figure out if Luke is actually his son. And uh, he has some free time, so he goes out and slaughters Tusken Raiders. Hey crown. Now let's talk about the First Order and the need that they have to have stormtroopers assigned to execute people. It's important to remember the First Order is not a government. They are neo-imperials. They miss the empire. Snow flies around on the supremacy, name of his ship. They don't have a planet. They have no industry. They miss the empire. Think of them as neo-Nazis. Seriously, that's what they are. They are a sin political movement that decides to commit genocide on the Palestinian system. So, they decide, hey, if anyone that would be kidnapped and forced into being child soldiers and they decide to rebel in some way, we'll be them. So, when Finn and Rose are captured on the supremacy in The Last Jedi, they are technically spies at that point. Now, we have a long tradition, going back to the Revolutionary War, that spies, if caught, Our tribe and military tribe tribe people a court-martial, and then they can be executed. FASMA says, let's make this hurt and just have them beheaded right now. Now, somebody might say, but "But Finn defected from the first order, and yes, you're right, but that means we still need to go to a court-martial, but since the first first order is not a country, it's not a nation-state, they they have have no right to go around killing people. So, when you think about... We can't just go around beheading people. That would be cruel and unusual punishment. Moreover, we don't like summary executions, and international law is really clear about that. You don't get to be in a uniform and just say, like, hey, we're going to pull people over and shoot them. That's how we go to war, because we don't tolerate that in the United States. We're still the good guys, and come when Pence is president, or in 2021 when a Democrat is... We will stop this. But, for the time being, if anyone wants to take laser axes and behead people, that would be cruel and unusual punishment under existing law. Because if there's a substantial or objectively and risk of serious harm in executing somebody, that's cruel and unusual punishment. And, well, it's a great life lesson. Don't behead people. Now, you might be wondering, Destroying Jeddah and Alderaan, was that a war crime? Because you might think, well, the only way to stop the rebels is to kill all their families. And if somebody's running on that platform, you can say, like, uh, no, no, that sounds a lot like a war crime. And it is. It is a war crime. If that's your first instinct, that's correct. We don't kill families. We don't blow up cities just because. And the Empire, with their doctrine of fear, that was their intent. The Death Star was an orbital war crime, and blowing up Jeddah by targeting civilians just because war crime. Blowing up Alderaan, war crime. So it would violate the Geneva Convention, and unfortunately, we're dealing with the literally the evil Empire, and that's not how they roll. Now let's talk about another great property issue. Is Ray actually the legal owner of Luke Skywalker's original lightsaber? Well, that means we have to trace property. <laughs> so, it was originally Anakin's, and he cut it after the Battle of Genosis because his first one was crushed while there. Now, in the you know, great fight that they have, where if Obi-Wan just had a slightly better work ethic, we wouldn't have had any sequels. Uh, Anakin's left smoldering, and you know, realizing that there is something worse than sand, and it's lava. And, and he takes the lightsaber. Now, he spends 19 years on Tatooine, and eventually gives the lightsaber to Luke. Well, let's break it Somebody might say, like, hey, Obi-Wan Kenobi stole Anakin's lightsaber, and I say, wrong. The Republic had just been overthrown by the Sith. They're the bad guys. The Jedi are law enforcement. And when law enforcement go out and stop criminals, they don't leave guns and pipe bombs, saying like, hey, that gangster, that hooligan, might want that gun back. They take it. So So, Obi Wan was right to do so because you're not just going to leave a lightsaber lying around. Also, 19 years passes, so there's a good argument that there was adverse possession. Thus, Obi Wan could make a valid gift to Luke of saying this this was your father's lightsaber, (laughs) which then brings us to that wonderful battle on on Bespin, where the lightsaber is lost when Luke's hands cut off. Now, Luke doesn't go looking for his hand or lightsaber because that was a traumatic experience. It's a gas giant. What are the odds of finding that? So there's a good argument that it was lost or it was abandoned, which means however Maz got it, she would have been the valid owner of it because 35 years had passed. So that could have been a valid gift from Maz to Rey. Rey initially refuses it, but, Moz doesn't give up, giving it to Finn tacked as a baby until Rey was ready to call the lightsaber herself. So yes, she does own the now broken lightsaber. So let's talk about the real villain in The Last Jedi, Poe. Poe's inability to follow orders is an act of insubordination. Leia was absolutely right to say, let's not get everybody killed. Let's get the hell out of here. And somebody might say, like, Poe was right to have that battleship destroyed. And the answer is, no, he wasn't. Leia said, get back to the ship. It's time to go. She's in charge. Moreover, when Holdo's in charge, and Poe decides to lead a mutiny, sending Finn and Rose off to Canto Bight, Their plan literally gets over 90% of the resistance killed. If they had trusted age and wisdom, they would have all survived. So when you have, in times of war, somebody commits acts of insubordination or mutiny, the punishment after a court-martial is death, or whatever the court-martial deems appropriate. Shooting Poe would have been completely fine after a court-martial. Polo should have thrown him in the brig, because they're kind of dangerous, dude. But that's not what happens, and the resistance can now fit in the Falcon. That's not good. So let's talk about my greatest contribution to the practice of law. So I wrote a great article about this, in my opinion, because Bolcher published it. And they did so in 2015, and, and then again this year. And it was shared thousands upon thousands of times. So I might never be appointed to the, to the United States Supreme Court or be a judge, but people know how I was right. So let's, let's take a look at the facts to break this down from, from 77. 77. Volume? Maybe we do have subtitles. Yeah, this time I've got the money. I don't have it with me. Tell John. Even I get bored sometimes. Do you think I had a choice? My dead body. Yes, I bet you have. Guido never shot. So, let's take a look at the law. Now in California, going back to the beginning of the state, if somebody reasonably believes that imminent lethal force is going to be used against them, they don't need a retreat, and they can use proportional force in response to the threat. What does Han do? Well, he's cornered. He can't leave. He's in the, the hive of scum and villainy on Tatooine. And he is directly threatened. That's the idea over my dead body. That's the idea. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And at that, he ices, we don't. Hahn was right to do so. Now, there are other arguments that we, we can have. And I just say for other analysis in other areas of Star Wars, join me at Nerd Night San Francisco on, on May 16th. So with that, we'll take questions. You can see us at WonderCon. I can't tell you all the details, but we will have two panels. We will be at San Diego Comic Fest with a mock trial, where law students will argue that Frankenstein is not legally competent to stand trial for the death of little Maria, and some other adventures coming up. So any other questions? Yes, sir. Should Jedi, should Jedi give lightsabers to, like, ten-year-old Padawans? <laughs> <laughs> so the question, should Jedi give Padawans, ten-year-old children, lightsabers? So my gut reaction is no, but if you think about proper gun safety and training, you, you have Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, well, actually no Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts won't learn this. Boy Scouts do learn gun safety, but they're slightly older, so I would not give a 10-year-old an energy sword that could literally take off a hand. So, no. And there's no warning label. (laughs) Other questions? Yes, sir, in the white shirt. So the question is, would the uh, uh, Wido's race, the the Rhodians, have a right to try to extradite him, to try to issue a warrant after him? Yeah, they would have that right, but uh, I don't think Tatooine has extradition treaties, that that would be the proper place for the uh, uh, case to be prosecuted. And Han just threw some coinage at at, uh, War the Bartender. And, and that was the end of it, so it was cleaned up. Any other questions? Yes, sir. I have a question about like, the actual law. Is, is it's OK for someone to take, for a Jedi police officer, to confiscate a, a lightsaber from a criminal and then give it to their relative? Is it actually OK for a, an actual police officer to take like a handgun from a criminal and then it give it to their relative? No. Um, so the question. Could a police officer, confiscate a gun, and then later give it to a relative. With the weapon forfeiture laws that we have in this state, that's radically complicated. Uh, I think the default is it's going to be melted down for scrap. But So, no, I I don't think anyone in that family is going to be getting it. Yes, sir? Following the deliberative body of Star Wars actually creating the the Chancellor, giving him the emergency powers and essentially creating the Empire. Would the Jedi have had legal standing to violently remove him from power? No. No. And if you listen to the Beltway Banthas podcast, I was on it as a guest. We talked about that in great detail. They should have done a, a Robert Mueller uh, impression. They should have put together a good paper trail because there would have been emails. There, there would have been people who didn't know how to convert uh, PDFs to Word documents. And, and other things, that they could have built a great case, they could have gone to you know Senator Jimmy Schmitz at that point and said, uh, excuse me, Bail Organa, uh, we need your help here. And putting together a special prosecutor to take out the chancellor before he turns us into an empire. So, like, that would have been the correct way as opposed to self help measures. Oh, last one. You in the back, sir. If a clone trooper's DNA is found at a crime scene, are they all guilty or all innocent? (laughs) Dude, you are the man. So, we. We've talked about clone rights and other material, and that's in the extras that we'll get to into San Francisco. But that's that is wonderful, reasonable doubt, and you would need good evidence. And if you look at the Clone Wars episodes, uh, conspiracy where Tufts and Fives have their swan song, uh, there are great issues there with clone rights and and protecting clone clone lives. So thank you.